David, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Todd. So let's take stock in how 2023 is starting. Republicans control the House of Representatives with a very thin margin, and we saw just how thin a margin with the multiple votes to elect a new Speaker of the House. The Democrats control the Senate also with a thin margin, and we've had one senator actually switch from being a Democrat to being an independent after the elections. A Democrat is in the White House and is entering the third of a four-year term, so starting to think about the possibility of re-election. Republicans control the Supreme Court, and honestly, of all the margins, that's probably the, the largest, which is sort of interesting when you think about that from a historical perspective, also from a sort of constitutional perspective. And then from the sort of priorities of the kidney community, there's a number of issues that are in the balance, combination of legislative and regulatory, as well as ones that are kind of ongoing um, and need to be addressed on an annual basis and ones that are sort of emergencies at this time. So, you know, no complete list here, but as I sort of was thinking about today's discussion, there's the overcoming of the Supreme Court decision in Marietta versus DeVita, which will require congressional action, which did not happen in the last Congress. There's the issue around the Medicare program not allowing AKI patients to be discharged to home and how that could be addressed. There are increasing concerns around workforce shortages in the healthcare arena in general and in the kidney community, particularly in dialysis facilities in particular, both nurses and physicians and other health professionals, so major crisis there. There are challenges around how to pay for innovative therapies and sort of what that future looks like. There's a lot of activity around transplantation and kidney transplant and different policy issues and where that is all headed. Um, as part of the discussions around both the election in the fall, as well as the, the votes for the new speaker, there was a lot of discussion around the future of the Medicare program, the future of the Medicaid program, and potential congressional actions there. And then finally, while the good news is that we have appropriations and we have a budget for the federal government for fiscal year 2023, which ends at the end of September of this year, um, we will have to face um, increasing the debt ceiling in the next couple of months, which is always a contentious issue, as well as start moving forward with funding a budget for fiscal year 2024, which starts on October 1st of this year. So again, that's not a complete list, but that's a lot. And so where would you like to start based on that sort of opening set of comments? I think I'd like to start by getting on a plane to the Caribbean. Um, as I look at 2023, uh, and it's come in just like ferociously super fast, just listening to you go through it all, it's, it reminds me that this is going to be a daunting year. We will try uh, on our end here, policy division at ASM, to try to make sure we help out as best we can uh, for all the nephrologists and for all the kidney patients out there, um, all the individuals and their families who struggle with the implications of kidney disease. Um, I'm gonna start a little bit backwards, um, which is at the beginning, you, you mentioned the speaker's election and then you, you rounded back to the debt, the debt ceiling and funding for the 2024. That is indeed 
on everyone's mind um, because it, it seems very unlikely that um, the group that really objected to McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy's uh, uh, speakership election, uh, is also going to be very, very opposed to raising the debt ceiling without much of anything, um, and so without some really serious concessions. Uh, and what those are, I don't know. Uh, funding is going to be really difficult in the House. You know, they are going to want to have any increases in budget offset with cuts. Um, and that kind of goes to where we are in the Medicare program in general, because that also is affected by budget neutrality, which is making it very hard to change some of those things. Um, does, that's kind of where I start out. How, do, how does that strike you as kind of like big picture first thing? I think that's a good place to start. And, you know, it's interesting because you and I were both sort of trained by um, the same generation of policymakers. And, and, you know, one thing that that, that generation always taught us was you start with the money. And, and you know, for those of you who, um, you know, for people who are interested in sort of the history of Watergate, you know, it's follow the money. So I do think that's a good place to start. The one thing I would add, and it's not one we have to get into today, but I do think that group of Republican lawmakers who were opposed to Speaker McCarthy's candidacy, um, they've also made it clear that they the way they're going to go about trying to lower taxes is to go after the IRS and, and enforcement by the IRS. And I think that's another sort of interesting subplot here in terms of um, kind of what the potential, what could, you know, both the amount of time that's going to take up in Congress this year, but also just um, what, you know, the potential ramifications there are, are as well, which is just an interesting issue. So um curious as to how you want to go forward here. Well, Let's start out with um, a problem that it, that really would require a lot of effort to change and would really probably have some real financial implications, which I think are going to be very – it's going to be very hard for Congress to get its hands around, but we're going to have to push, which is basically the workforce shortage. Um, and, and, that, and a lot of these things are going to flow from that. So in the workforce shortage issue, um, we've all talked about this. We've talked about a uh, shortage in, in all parts of the nephrology care team, uh, from nephrologists to nephrologists, nurses to techs, um, and that that has there's been a major shift in the payment of minimum wage jobs in the country um, into a situation where it it actually the old adage of going to McDonald's and flipping hamburgers I can do it I can do that and make as much money as I do at my ex job with a lot less stress. Um, has become true in many states, not in every state, but in many states it has. Um, and then there's been the overall just burden of the workforce in terms of the last several years of the pandemic. And also just that we were already looking at an aging out of, of various sections of the workforce, particularly the nursing section. And that's just kind of, that's just tumbled in and you know, built and built and built. And AKI comes into this because Currently, if you have, and, and this is going to, I'm going to extend it, not just AKI, but really in general, incident, you know, uh, uh, patients who, you know, crash into dialysis, going up in the hospital, um, they are all being caught up in the same way, um, which is that the, the workforce shortage um, has meant that many localities have had experiences where they've been unable for a particular period of time 
to discharge these patients because they cannot get them into a, a scheduled in-center dialysis. Um, you know, they can't get them, you know, onto a schedule. And that's really a problem. And in the case of AKI, Medicare has specifically not allowed patients to be discharged to home. Um, and so that complicates that matter as well. So they kind of all kind of mix together, as you can see, and make it very difficult for how we kind of deal with how labor intense it is to provide dialysis to patients and also to prepare them to go home. So that's something that our members have been looking at for a while. And I think it's going to come to a head this year with both efforts on the regulatory side, but I think there may be some efforts legislatively as well. And that'll be a little different. We've generally tried to stay away from Congress legislating around um, particular prescriptions in, in healthcare delivery, but I'm not sure if we're going to be able to continue to, to be purists on that or not. And that's, I know I'm not speaking for ASN on that yet because it's still kind of something we're still struggling with. But I think that is really something that we're going to struggle with for the whole time. And I think people in the kidney community would like to go back and revisit how the regulatory agencies have set up the approval of innovative payments within the whole system. And as we've talked about a lot, innovation within kidney space was, has been stifled for years. And now it's really increasing, but there's still enough, there are enough barriers to getting reimbursement that companies are still having troubles and they're still trying to figure out whether or not they are going to make that investment. And you, you've done a lot of work in that space. I'll try to answer your question and then I'll, I'll circle back to, to the, the AKI issue because I, I do think it's really important. I mean, I, I think there's, there's sort of two macro challenges here. One is um, the FDA and sort of the challenges, understandably, of bringing new products to market and, and sort of how you go through the regulatory process at FDA. So that's sort of one set of, of challenges that, that is by design. And then the second's on the payment side. And I think that the two challenges there is, as you've implied, some, some issues with how the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services thinks about um, innovations. And, and to some extent, is there a jurisdictional challenge where perhaps um, they're adding an additional sort of unintended barrier um, beyond sort of the FDA process. And so I, I do think there needs to be more alignment there. And, I, you know, I think there's recognition in the current administration and, and certainly the current commissioner at FDA that that needs to occur. So that's sort of one set of activities. I, se I think the second challenge, of course, is on the private side in terms of insurance, um, reimbursing for new therapies. And, and, you know, I think in both cases, it has to be, if you, you look at where there have been successes in other diseases like Alzheimer's disease or, or, or cancer, um, it's, the, it's the patient community being very vocal and very activist. And I think that's one thing that we need to do as a, as a community is really engage people with kidney diseases to be vocal about both wanting these new therapies, but also being able to have access to them in an affordable way. Um, I, I guess just before we leave the, the AKI issue, um, it sounds like you think the possibility would be for both a regulatory solution or at least policy changes within CMS and some sort of legislative solution. And I guess it's the legislative solution that it's not as clear to me. Yeah, and it's 
it's it's it's an emerging conversation that we've been having within in the kidney community. I, I have not seen the exact details either. I've had the discussion with numerous people. It could be it could be as straightforward as um, as Congress actually just using its influence to try to get the the Medicare Center to really look at what to do with this particular situation um, without actually prescribing a fix for it. Uh, now there could there be could be some others who might actually want to do a direct fix uh, that applies that you know that basically aligns up with like uh, you know Medicare shall not make any rules that prohibit the you know interrupt the practice of medicine in between uh, you know their physician and the, and the patient uh, in terms of uh, post uh, uh, at the beginning of outpatient uh, clinical care. So once you go into discharge, uh, I, I mean I, that's. That's a little bit me just kind of meandering and wondering mentally, but that's that's where it's going. And I really hadn't heard of that many people in the community wanting to take a, a, a stab at this uh, on Capitol Hill. And it's beginning to be talked about a lot more. It's on our radar screen here. But we have been wanting to just get the whole issue of of workforce and being able to discharge patients and having the capacity there and also – uh, really kind of getting that particular aspect of regulatory space out of the interaction between the physician and the patient. And that's that's something that we've had talked about them about many, many times. Uh, so there's, you know, there's, there's definitely some um, some work there to be done. This raises a really interesting kind of side issue, which I think is is a little bit esoteric, but I think is fascinating. And we've talked about this a bit. Over the last couple of decades, Congress has increasingly gone to end-of-year sort of omnibus bills to fund all the different agencies through the, the appropriations process. And that's different than how the process used to work, where essentially each of the different agencies or departments had their own sort of appropriations budget, and, and occasionally a few of them were, were combined. So, for instance, the Department of Veterans Affairs would be sort of freestanding, but the Departments of Health and, and Education and Labor would be combined. Um, but the point is, it sounds like one of the things that may be different this year is a series of, of more agency-specific appropriations bills to fund them for 2024. If that happens, do you see those as kind of the vehicles for some of these other legislative um, changes, or do you think that's a whole entire other process or somewhere in between? Well, we've seen the in-between on that before, um, and sometimes it's gone well and sometimes it hasn't gone well. Um, because if you do get back to a, a individual appropriations bills, and I'm not saying that's necessarily going to happen, but goodness knows we'll see. Um, there's a lot there that remains to be seen. But if you do get back to that process, that is a way in which some of these things can be affected. If you do it via the appropriations process, as you know, you generally have to return and do that every year and put your fix in. Um, so you, you can't necessarily legislate forever and ever a statute, but via the appropriations process. Um, and if you remember, there are some, some rather famous ones. The Bolin Amendment, which uh, prohibited any funds from going to the Contras um, in Nicaragua in their fight against the government there. And that led to uh, what we ended up having with Oliver North and the Iran-Contra affair. It's something that I'm waiting to see if 
um, some of the holdouts who are, are being very, 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 you know, conservative and very, very antagonistic against the government itself that wouldn't vote for Kevin McCarthy. I'm, I'm beginning, I'm wondering if they're ever going to realize that they will have much more influence if they get behind individual spending packages uh, than they could ever have you know, doing what they're doing now. Uh, and that really is something that is something that you'll have to see if they figure out because they can they can actually probably influence a lot more that way and a lot faster. I, I think there was a really big disappointment uh, at the end of 2022 because the Living Donor Protection Act really had good chances in this last Congress and it didn't happen for a host of reasons. Um, and that's something that I know uh, the sponsors of the bill are working on and they are trying to reduce the number of referrals to committees that the bill gets. And just so our listeners know, when your bill gets referred to multiple committees, it makes it harder to get passed. Um, so when, when, they, when the parliamentarian looks at a bill and says, jurisdiction for this bill belongs to, I think last time it was five committees, that makes it very difficult to get a bill passed. Um, so even a bill like the Living Donor Protection Act, which had really overwhelming support, it can still really slow down the process. So I know that there's a lot of work ongoing uh, right now to try to try to avoid that for this year and see if it can get passed this year as opposed to waiting to the to next year, the last part of the, uh, of the uh, Congress. And that's a really important one. The one that kind of didn't go as way a lot of people expected was the legislative fix to address the Medicare Secondary Payer Act. Uh, decision from the Supreme Court, which of course is the the Marietta versus Devita case uh, that was decided last June. So uh, that one did not get uh, addressed either, and that one I think is going to be a little more comp. Uh, it's going to be a little bit more complicated to sort that one out, and it's going to have to be done in some much more explicit language than was provided probably last Congress. So, just so I'm clear on these two, because I think these are two huge legislative priorities for this year. There's kind of two challenges. One, and I'm going to group these together, both the Living Donor Protection Act and, and any sort of um, legislation to overcome Marietta versus DeVita. One challenge is writing the legislative language in such a way that it is limited in terms of the committee referral. And in general, health care bills tend to end up in sort of two House committees and two Senate committees. If you do it right, you might be able to get one of each, but that's really challenging. So if you're looking at five or six, it's almost impossible to move forward. And that's obviously the real challenge with the Living Donor Protection Act. I guess the second point, and I just want to make sure I have this right, is that the opposition in both cases is probably the insurance industry. And so it's sort of setting up the kidney community the sort of, if you think about it, the kidney community in general and then the transplant community and the, the dialysis community, respectively, with the insurance industry and the insurance companies. Is that, I'm just trying to read the sort of the environment correctly. Yeah, I, I would, um, in, in terms of Living Donor Protection Act, I, I don't know that there was that much uh, insurance opposition. Um, and, and in terms of uh, the Marietta uh, Correction Bill, as I'll just call it, there was certainly um, employer plan just opposition, a great deal of it. So that really was. Um, I, I would definitely place the, the 
you know, place city insurance industry squarely in that opposition in the, the latter. I'm not sure I would do so in the former. So if we use the immunosuppressive drug coverage legislation as our example, you know, that took quite some time to finally make its way through Congress and be signed by the president. And mostly that happened because the entire community broadly defined came together. My sense is that if we are serious about the Living Donor Protection Act, it's time for the entire kidney community broadly defined to come together behind a legislative proposal that is well-written so that it doesn't have to go to multiple committees and that it is, is one that we can all support and get over the finish line in this Congress. I just want to make sure if it's not, if the opposition isn't really from the insurance industry, then it means it's us and, and, and us being the community. Do I have that correct? Well, I, I will answer it in this way, which is right now there is, um, uh, you know, there, it is really hard to get attention uh, in this environment and get members of Congress to really push for something to be moved through Congress. And if that's the case, then doing so without a fully unified community is next to impossible. And so that's that's what I would say is the more tightly unified we are and, and cohesive in our message, the better our chances are. Why don't we end with Medicare and Medicaid? So just as a reminder, and I know we, we talk about this a lot, but, but the appropriations process must move forward this year, as must the debt ceiling. So, so those are discussions that have to take place or the government will shut down. And, and we've all lived through a number of government shutdowns. Medicare and Medicaid will move forward with or without congressional activity. The regulatory side has to move forward, but that will happen. And so if Congress, if the House and Senate can reach agreement with the White House on legislation to make changes to Medicare and Medicaid, those could take place this year. It seems unlikely to happen next year because next year is an election year. So it would really have to be this year. What do you think may happen in, in, in those arenas? Well, I don't think you're going to see any reversal of, of uh, you know, budget neutrality, which is something that would definitely be something that you would you would like to see. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, and so that that means we are going to continue to have some of these issues about if if you get a if you get an increased spending in one place, you're going to end up with a decreased spending in another place. Um, but you are uh, you are basically just uh, talking about um, kind of what are the things that really you want them to look at you 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 really want them is there a way for you legislatively to have them address um deficits in the in the in the bundle i'm not sure if that will work correctly um but i mean because there are several things here that are you know statutory um and so you know there's there's in transplant for example i could see them possibly removing um the the limitations on the amount of the um, federal poverty level that is unnecessary for for um, assistance to living donors, and that's that's something I could see being adjusted. Another example of one that could be adjusted is if you want to donate a kidney, and you are below 350% of the federal poverty level. That's what I was just talking about. Then you qualify for uh, NELDAC, which is um, the National Living. Excuse me. 
you you qualify for federal aid uh, in some of your expenses uh, in in terms of lost wages. Uh, however, currently uh, the law does include that the expenses of the recipient, uh, their income has to be factored in. So uh, basically, you know, you, sometimes you have a recipient who desperately needs a kidney transplant and someone who's willing to, to donate for them. And the person who's going to donate is actually somebody who's at that lower income level and should get that assistance as Congress defined it. But the catch is Congress also included in the equation the calculation of what the recipient's income is. And I think that's just combining two things that shouldn't be combined. They, they should be basically you know, it, it evaluate the donor and then you evaluate the recipient for their own particular needs um, and and then make a decision about donation and about transplantation. But um, it, it particularly, you know, when you're talking about living donation and, and it's designated, that really is a problem. Uh, and that can be very difficult when those things merge and actually mean that you can't get federal assistance. So those are some areas I could definitely see um, some particular direction coming out of Congress. So, David, sounds like you have your work cut out for you um, in 2023. And um, my sense is that you're kind of cautiously optimistic that while there may be a fair amount of um, gridlock, there may actually be some movement, and some of the movement could potentially be positive for the kidney community. Um, just sort of curious if you think that's a, a reasonable assessment of the year. I, I've seen more coalescing of in the kidney community about what it wants uh, and what it's willing to ask for. And I, that's where I'm trying to remain hopeful. <laughs> so um, 2023 is going to certainly have a whole lot of challenges, but has the potential to bring some really good change. Sometimes you want short victories, and sometimes you got to be in the long game. And we're hoping that the long game has some really productive uh, innings in 2023. Um, and we'll have to see how that goes, but we're going to keep going at it. Well, David, thank you. I really appreciate it, um, both the time and the insights, but also everything you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you to our members. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare professional if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.